If Megan Fox and Rufus Hound bought a pub, what would they call it? Will chicks still dig the Batmobile if I stall it? Here at Answer Me This, we are, of course, the commuter's friend, uh, and Dan commutes by foot. Uh, And he says, whilst running home from work today, it's how I commute, I wasn't scared of my employer. LOL. (laughs) I was listening to an 80s versus 90s mix. Why is that versus? They're not in competition with each other, are they? That's an 80s and 90s mix. Uh, No, there's a style of mix where people do, they they suggest there's some sort of battle going on. And actually, I'm not sure who would win in those decades. Mm. 70s versus 80s, 70s would win. Oh, no. Yeah. I hate the 70s. Defo. Do you Mm. really hate the 70s, though? Yeah. Why? Disco. That musical genre makes me more furious than virtually any other. Even more than punk that's meant to make you angry. I take your point, but late period Elvis and 70s Bowie, both better than dead Elvis and 80s Bowie, I would argue. But then you get the Smiths, Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, well, of course, you have to be selective. Danny Wilson's Mary's Prayer. Dan continues. "Uh, It was quite a pleasant listen, this 80s versus 90s mix, uh, featuring gems by artists such as Venga Boys. Artists. Yeah, Yeah, not artists we typically associate with the word pleasant. Or artists. Chumba Wumba. Artists. uh, Salt and Pepper. Artists. Yeah. uh, And Kenny Loggins. I don't think I know any Kenny Loggins. I know he's got an amazing beard, and that's as far as my internet research was prepared to go. Anyway, during mile five of my run, the classic Uptown Girl started playing. There we Uh, are. We've got to the subject of the the, uh, email here. Billy Uh, Joel. He means classic, not the Westlife cover. Yes. Even though it was very faithful to the original. I think even Westlife would acknowledge that the Joel is the uh, the standard bearer. They're not there to innovate. Dan continues. Given that I had nothing else to focus on during my run, I listened to the lyrics of Uptown Girl for perhaps the first time ever and paused for thought when Billy starts talking about his Uptown Girl's white bread world. Great theme park. (laughs) (laughs) You just go on the crust, it's terrifying. (laughs) I know it's been 30 years since the track came out, says Dan, but has white bread ever stood as a status symbol. Because if it's not white bread, as in B-R-E-A-D, and is in fact white bread, as in B-R-E-D, white bread world, then the song takes on a much more unpleasant tone. I don't know, maybe it's a legitimate satire to make. So, Helen, answer me this. Does Billy Joel associate white bread with the higher classes of the New York 80s scene, or is he just a big, dirty, piano-playing racist? Well, maybe he wasn't the racist, but he's making a point that she's from a very racially homogenous world, whereas his downtown people are more ethnically mixed. This song is quite 50s inflected, isn't it? It's fair to say. And at the time, white bread was a huge novelty because it was processed. Processed foods were really in in the 50s. Oh, so what were the proles eating in 1950s America? Rough peasanty brown bread. Really? Yeah. And then, like all these things, the posh stuff filters down and then becomes common and then you get the swing back up to artisanal bread. So he is signifying, you think, that in the 1950s, if you were saying someone was from a white bread world, even if people didn't actually say that... Uh, the suggestion is they're from a rarefied culture. Yeah. But there's also a lot of connotations of white bread when it first came out, aren't there? Like, sort of, it's probably sliced, maybe the crust's cut off. It's mm. very, very particularness. Mm. Homo- very homogene- pure. Yeah, purity, homogeneity, but also uh, sort of control and properness, propriety. Blandness. Maybe. And he wants to stick his sausage in it. But apparently, he wrote this song for his girlfriend of the time, 
Elle McPherson, what? who's uh, Australian. What? I don't know whether she would count as an uptown girl. Billy Joel with Elle McPherson. I know. And, How does he do it? Shortly after he was going out with her, he married Christy Brinkley. How does he do it? He's just like a little potato that knows about three chords. What could have attracted those beautiful women to the multi-millionaire Billy Joel? <laughs> uh, Dan continues. Uh, another track has caught my ear. Uh, 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. June. Uh, Helen answered me this. What the fuck is Haver? As in, in if a Haver, no one no going to be on me, the one I who's havering to ye. I think I thought that meant be sick. Like heave. Ew. Like heave, yeah. No. I thought it was a Scot saying, if I drink too much beer, inevitably spew up all over the place. <laughs> I want to be the one doing it at your feet. No. What's he saying? I don't think uh, Scotland had the Buckfast problem that it has now <laughs> uh, when the Proclaimers wrote it's this song. It's pre the Buckfast ep- epidemic. Well, Haver is, uh, in Scottish dialect, it means to talk nonsense or babble. So I guess oh. the implication there is a man who's driven to incoherence by love. Mm. But in English, it means to vacillate. So it's like, if I'm vacillating about whether to be with you, know that at least it's about you not about someone else so maybe both those interpretations work in the context of the song no but they're basically folk songwriters from Scotland aren't they the proclaimers so they wouldn't have considered the English meaning sure I think also if someone's willing to walk 500 miles and 500 more they would have already really set their heart on someone they wouldn't be vacillating well here is another question of song lyrics from Mr Pineapples who says Ollie answer me this when James Brown says take me to the bridge what bridge is he referring to? And why does he want to go there? To take it to the bridge, not take me to the bridge. What's he taking to the bridge then? It's not a sack full of kittens, is it? It's the bridge between verse and chorus. Another musical reference for this, Robbie Williams saying, and that's a good line to take, take it, it to, to the, the bridge. bridge. In what was that song? Uh, Strong, Strong, I think. Yeah. Um, but actually, in the case of James Brown, he was the band leader. So mm-hmm. actually, it's not just, you know, there for effect like it is in the Robbie Williams song because they couldn't think of a lyric to put. Mm-hmm. It is actually when he'd say on stage, take it to the bridge. They were like, OK, we've been playing the same bar for 70 minutes yeah. now. And that is what it's like. If you ever went yeah. to see James Brown, I had the misfortune of doing that. Oh, it's no. interminable. Yeah, but you didn't see him at peak James Brown, did you? You saw him at it, almost off almost this earth, yeah. James Brown. True, but like everyone else in the audience seemed to still think it was amazing. I went to see him supporting the Red Hot Chili Peppers in about 2001. I can understand why they would want him yeah. but yeah for him money uh, i guess yeah but yeah he still did the whole act like he did the whole act where he did this thing where he like collapses on the floor someone else someone else comes out and gives him a cape and then he puts the cape on and then he sits down he just says his name a lot like jason james Derulo. brown james brown and he gets everyone to shout it and i'm like i know who you are mate do something i was so boring anyway uh. when he says take it to the bridge you're like thank god for that because if he's singing sex machine all it means until you until he says take it to the bridge. All you've heard, yeah, all you've heard for twenty minutes is that just that for twenty minutes. He's driving you absolutely insane. Maybe he couldn't remember what was next. I just hate funk. I, I really hate funk. It's, it's not as bad as disco. <laughs> you're but just you're the whitest people alive. Honestly, it was so boring. Give the guy a break. He's the godfather of soul. Yeah, well, if James Brown is the godfather of soul, who is the father? And who is the mother of Sol? Because he wouldn't get to be godfather if uh, the mother and father of Sol hadn't had the child Sol and then invited him to the christening. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Collins and... Uh, I don't know. Solomon Burke Aretha and Baby Franklin. Washington. Yeah. That's, <laughs> they're pretty good parents. Yeah. <laughs> well, I Solomon don't know. Burke, actually, I did see live and he was amazing. He did almost exactly the same act as James Brown, but I really enjoyed it. I don't yeah. know what the difference was. When an old man is singing about sex, and not love, not romance, but actual physical yeah. fucking, it's a bit weird. Yeah. Like... Um, when I saw Barry Manilow, he kept doing um, sort of crotch 
waving. Oh no! And Are you sure that was voluntary though, not kind of tick? <laughs> it was, but he was. He had a smile on his face as if to say, "Look, I know I'm too old for this, but hey, let's do it." And so it was funny the first time. Old people still have sexual feelings. I know, but no one fancies Barry Manilow. No, no that is true. Um, and of course, you know, the women fans in the audience were screaming, you know, out of obligation. Give it to me, Barry. And it I'm was moist <laughs> for you. <laughs> it was kind of, it's kind Moderately of moist. Kind of funny, like. It was it was ironised, I guess, but the point was he did it probably half a dozen times in the concert, and Ew. by the end you just like stop it because we're what we're doing is we're supporting a fantasy now for you rather than for Barry, yeah, rather than all of us sort of joining in on the joke that you know you're perhaps not as sexually virile as you'd like. The joke was kind of well, it wasn't a joke anymore. It was just like look at my sexy Willie. Oi, shut up and answer me this. Come on in. Why don't you shut your ugly face? I'm not ugly, it's the condition. It's no condition, it's the ugliness, mate. Answer me this, podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this, podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this, podcast at googlemail.com Now I think, seriously though, go back to your own country. That's what we're all thinking, isn't it? It's what we're all thinking. Who's got a question? I ain't got no questions. Don't look at me. Shut your mouth. Here's a question from Will, who says, My lovely wife and I have recently moved into a twee new house by the seaside. In doing so, we received from my in-laws the very rock and roll gift that is a vacuum cleaner. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good gift. You yeah. need one. Practical. Yep. Durable. Yep. You can hoover out that sand that you track in from the seaside. Salt. It's a Henry, in fact. Oh, well, personable as well then. You know, friendly as well as durable and practical. Good presents. If people somehow have never met Henry Hoover before, a little wheelie Hoover with a happy face on it. With a face on it. Yes. And he sports a beaming grin, says Will. So he hasn't got one of those grumpy Henrys. (laughs) Just like, just sucks up your dust balls and then chokes them out all over your clean floor. I mean, actually, that's the next logical step for the company to evolve, isn't it? Henry that looks a bit pissed that you're sucking in a load of dust through his nose. Uh, Will says, aside from Henry's cheerful smile, I associate Henry and of course his eyelashed co-worker Hetty and presumed arch-rival Harry mm-hmm. with professional applications mm-hmm. I've certainly seen Henry's in the wild in schools village halls offices and such places as such I think of Henry as a professional tool I as, think you're a professional tool mate Jesus sorry as, as much as a consumer home appliance mm. I don't think you're a consumer home appliance. But I guess that professional cleaners and caretakers are the last people that need a smiley face anthropomorphised tool to help them get their job done. Mm. Indeed, it could even be deemed a little patronising to the profession. I would have guessed the red face vacuum's HEPA flow filtration technology and one docking storage function is enough to sell the product to the pros. So, Ollie, answer me this. Why did the pneumatic company put a smiley face on a vacuum cleaner aimed at professionals, or at least adults? And how, in an age where brands are constantly updated and tweaked to keep pace with modern stars and attitudes, does this rather archaic-seeming piece of product styling remain largely unchanged? Well, hold on for just a split second Which other Hoover are we on first-name terms with, Will? Well, I just called it a Hoover. That's another brand, but it's the generic term, isn't it? Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, everyone likes an anthropomorphic robot. It doesn't matter what level of professional... Engagement you have. What if these are just an early generation Terminator? <laughs> I think there's like a turf war with the Roombas. I think also there's a sense of it being your friend. You know, if you're cleaning an office building in the middle of the night Very and no lonely. one else around. Yeah, perhaps you've got the likes of us for company in your ears, but it's nice to have a little creature following you around with a smiley face. Maybe Will should be asking, not this, but why are not more things decorated with a smiley face? Yeah. There's a, a Venezuelan cafe in Crystal Palace that on the breakfast, it draws a little smiley face on the corn cake. Mm. Mm. It's always fun, isn't it? I'm it smiley is face fun. or cock and balls, but, you know, yeah. harder to sell that into the professional industry. I'll go to a cafe that put a cock and balls on my omelette. 
Yeah, but would you want a giant dick to be hoovering up around you? Yeah. Or following yeah. you around? Absolutely. Not sure. Does that include you? I think the point is, you might, but if you were a resources manager for KPMG, you'd probably choose a Dyson, wouldn't you? I don't know. If you're a resources manager for KPMG, you might still have a saucy side. Uh, anyway, the reason that Henry has a smiley face upon him uh, is because when Pneumatic first went to a trade show uh, with their, uh, you know, exciting... Uh, but nonetheless, you know, quite homogenous brand of suction yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in uh, Lisbon uh, in 1981. Um, they weren't getting a huge amount of traction, but one of the designers who was there doodled a smile on the front of one of the vacuum cleaners completely impulsively. And that evening when the public came through the trade show, it was the smiling vacuum cleaner that was getting mobbed by the public. Wow. People wanted their picture taken with it. They were like, oh, that's really funny. Just a doodle on the side of a, of, of a Henry, or what we now know as a Henry, and that so a brand was born. People were so easy to please back then, weren't they? <laughs> All needed is a hoover and a shopping. Yeah, but they're members of the public at a vacuum cleaning trade show. I mean, you know, they're probably quite easily pleased anyway. It's probably like sensory deprivation, isn't it, going to a vacuum cleaning trade show? Uh, but they've never looked back, which is just as well, because Henry is physically incapable of doing so. Uh, and they're still being made at a rate of 4,500 units a day. Wow! Um, and they are still, which is a good thing, and I didn't realise, made in the UK. Not design Where? and research in the UK like Properly. Dyson, but actually all made here in Britain. Whereabouts? They've been in uh, Crew Kern, they've been in Yeovil, and they've been in Beaminster. I can't remember where they are now. Is it legal to marry a Henry? I don't see why not. Well, I can see why not, but... <laughs> can, I, I want to know about the extended family. Right. Yes. So, well, that takes us back to Yeovil, actually, and right. their factory there. Or So company myth goes. Is there a factory tour where the Henrys can actually speak <laughs> and they're sentient? Is there ought to be? <laughs> not to my knowledge. Uh, when they were in Yeovil, which is next to a river... Uh, mm-hmm. where the factory was apparently the river swelled one day mm. as rivers do and all the henrys drowned and all the henrys drowned no! um, oh. and this is apparently the reason that pneumatic gave for then creating a henry that would work with water and wet surfaces as well yeah but that's not going to save a river is it no you can't hoover up a river but it was inspiration for them realising that you know they've created this good vacuum cleaner but it doesn't cope with wet mm-hmm. so they created I think the first spin-off which was possibly George I'm not sure uh, there's also James, Charles and Hetty the Spray this is like Tom's the tank engine <laughs> Yeah. But are they all just hoovers that are different colours? They're all subtly different, um, right. but they all have different powers of suction. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them can handle wet as well as dry surfaces. Um, but the ones, that, the, the reason that you see Henry and Harry and Hetty the most, Hetty is just the, the female equivalent of Henry, so that, that's just a personal branded gender-based choice. Yes. Um, uh, Harry does slightly more or something slightly different. I think maybe he copes with the wet as well. But the reason you see those the most is because those are the ones that are sold in the mainstream stores, your home base, yes. your supermarkets. But the full range is available to domestic... Uh, professionals and office cleaners and so on mm-hmm. um, and and the reason for that is is partly related to the fact that they are based in the uk it's that they can make to order because wow. um, they are uh, available to very quickly turn over up to five thousand different product line variations on their hoovers Jesus. Uh, whereas obviously if you're making them in china and shipping them over you don't have that flexibility so have- that's why they are the uh, cleaning professionals favorite and have have they not done that thing like nike do where you can customize your own trainers from a set of uh, preordained options whereby you can go on their website order your customized ollie hoover mm. with similar hair to you and a pair of glasses and and a t-shirt it's a bloody good idea isn't it because they could charge about 300 quid per hoover extra couldn't they and also i'd be willing to put that that's not a product it would be embarrassing to associate yourself with as a brand if we could have helen and ollie and martin hoovers people wanted to support the podcast chuck 100 quid our way by paying through those i think a lot of people would prefer listening to the hoovers than us. <laughs> and uh, your girlfriend might prefer cuddling up to the ollie hoover <laughs> well who's to say she doesn't i work five nights a week now yeah because you've got a henry haven't you 
No, we had a Henry. Okay, so at least she's not been seeing him behind your back while you're out at work at night. Um, but um, now we have... Um, uh, well, because I'm a gadget columnist, I get sent hoovers. Uh, I've just been sent, actually, by iRobot, the new Roomba 880. I don't remember the film iRobot really featuring electronic <laughs> hoovers. Uh, so it's a robot, you know, yeah. and it's um, it's phenomenally powerful. I don't know if I'd pay what... I think it's something like 600 quid to buy, which is a lot. Yeah, but it's um, like having a pet. That cleans up rather than makes mess. Well, I was thinking about this. It does have that Robocop Terminator vibe to it rather than the friendly anthropomorphic nature of a Henry or Hetty. And actually, I, I'm surprised they haven't put a smiley face on it because you look at it going around and it's autonomous, but it's a bit threatening. It's not that friendly. Yeah, but I bet people have designed Roomba covers so that you can make your Roomba look like a little pet animal mm. of some sort. Trilobite. What's that? Oh, it's like an, uh, a prehistoric animal, but I was thinking what animal could you make it look like? Because it's a flat disc, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A trilobite, you know, like a horseshoe crab. Oh, those are horrible. That'd be a good look, wouldn't it? What a giant spider. Or oh, could people you, would love that. Or could you make it look like Pac-Man? That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. because you've got the circular thing. Yeah, you'd have to yeah. have the black where the mouth was to indicate what's behind it. But then from the looking down on it, that would look like Pac-Man eating your dust, wouldn't it? That's a good idea. Quite yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. But it got stuck under my sofa. So it's quite good in a way that it can get under the sofa, but, you know, they've got design one that gets all the way through. No use getting halfway through and, and f- flopping out, is there? Do you feel like uh, you ought to be feeding it or anything like that? <laughs> Giving it pats? Job well done, Rumba. Feed it, feed it your toenails. Sit on my lap while we listen to Desert Island Discs together. <laughs> well, now it's time for today's intermission, featuring a snippet from one of the many classic episodes of Answer Me This, available for a pittance right now at answermethisstore.com. And this clip is from episode 66. Do you think in the intervening six years since we did it, the questionnaire ever found his answer? I really hope so. I hope so too, Martin. His name is Richard, he's from Halifax, and he says, Answer me this, uh, will you help me find a girl I saw on holiday? I think I fell in love with her and want to talk to her. Uh, It was at the Maharaba Palace in Tunisia (laughs) on the weekend before episode 64. Hmm. Well, we don't even know what date that is, uh, Richard. (laughs) You are dating the Christian calendar (laughs) by the issue of Answer Me This episode. Well, it needed updating. If you saw a young man from Halifax, you were making eyes across the Maharaba Palace in Tunisia, uh, be in touch. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com That's like that column that they have in the London paper saying Hi, girl with the long plaits I saw you on the Northern Line the other day Well talk to her then And stop ending every message with drink? Question mark (laughs) It's the only way we know how to behave, Helen Lack of imagination is not going to reel in those girls Listeners, delight us please by calling in with your questions The number to dial is this 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this if that's your bag. Ends up in the same place, so we're not particular. Uh, this is Joe in Seattle. Uh, so, so you know how when like an actor or actress is in a movie and they have to like gain weight or lose weight or whatever, um, or like get in, get in shape, like get big biceps and shit. Like, is that in a contract that says you have to have like biceps that are eight inches around or something like that um and if so like how do they how do they define like legally in a contract um how that how to decide if someone is has gotten into the shape that is desired it's very hard to say the actors and the studios are not that open about what's actually in the contract but you do hear anecdotally Things like, uh, for The Lovely Bones, Ryan Gosling was originally cast as the dad in The Lovely Bones. 
And without discussing it with Peter Jackson, he decided that the dad had to weigh 210 pounds. So he went away and put on 60 pounds by drinking liquid ice cream. Then he turned up on set and Peter Jackson was like, that's not the direction we were going for. You're yeah, fired. That's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. If you've cast an actor because they look a certain way and then they interpret on themselves that this is the way they should turn up on yeah. the set. But Ryan Gosling, I can understand that they needed to age him up a bit because at the time I think he was only in his late 20s and mm. he was playing the father of teenagers. But you'd think they could have had a conversation about it first. They, they cast Marky Mark in the end and he looks pretty thin in the Google images I've seen from the film. Haven't seen the film. I think it would be odd for there not to be some films where it's so important to the story that this isn't contracted. Because, yeah. I mean, they contract everything else. It's probably not legal, is it? Yeah, of course it is, because like with, often with nude scenes, it literally says, you know, they will show the top half of their right nipple, and any more of that we're going to see. That kind but of detail. You can't, you can't contract and say the actor will weigh 185 Yeah, but actually, no, you can. Yeah, they they can. used to be really strictly really? contracted. Like, yeah. in Baywatch, it was in their contracts that they couldn't gain or lose more than £5, otherwise yeah, they that's a good example. to be fired. Exactly, so and, but, but uh, that totally makes sense because yeah. they're not there for their acting ability. And if you're casting someone as, say, Superman, and they were like, right, you need to lift weights for six months because otherwise you're not going to look very muscly... Mm. Then, if they turned up and they looked a bit doughy and out of shape, then you couldn't make the yeah, right film. Yeah, but there's a big difference between saying we kind of want someone who's going to end up looking like Dean Kane, and you will be 185 pounds or you will get no, sacked. But I think that is what happens. But they don't necessarily like to talk about it. But in weight loss, they have to be really careful because I think that puts even more strain on the actor's body because they sometimes lose the like 50 pounds in a month. Yeah, well, particularly actors liquid. who you know are quite uh, fragile beasts, generally speaking, anyway, and yeah. they have eating disorders as it is for them yeah. to have got made it in Hollywood. So this is the thing: it will be in their contracts that they have to do it with proper medical support because obviously the studios doesn't want to be liable for them to have heart damage and brain damage and mm. muscular wastage and so on. But I don't think they can still protect them from you know just starving them and just living off cigarettes and speed tablets and going a bit valley of the dolls the personal trainer of ryan reynolds great character actor mm. uh, says that for action films like blade and the green lantern right. uh, he was 200 pounds and eight percent body fat but for romantic comedies he, he's 180 pounds and 11 percent body fat so a bit softer but lighter mm. there's mm. no way that that isn't contracted for the most extraordinary contract negotiation that i've heard about recently is apparently following the death of philip seymour hoffman um, and the fact that they had to digitise him in the final version of the Hunger Games movie. No, apparently in. he's not digitised. They're using footage that they shot for other things in the Hunger Games, yeah, yeah. but they're recontextualising it. But nonetheless, because that was part of the discussion of what they might do, they were discussing in Hollywood, putting into people's contracts, that before you commit to a massive multi-million dollar franchise like that... Yeah, with several instalments. Yeah, you agree to be motion captured in case you die so that they can mm. complete the films. That sort of is saying that in the future they could make a film with someone in it who was dead 50 years ago, which is really weird, isn't well, it? Well, I find that weird now with adverts that have got footage of people like Marilyn Monroe or Audrey yeah. Hepburn advertising products. Like, what if Audrey Hepburn doesn't want to advertise Galaxy I agree. from Beyond the Grave? But there's two things going on there. One is they're only able to do that by paying for the rights to use Audrey Hepburn's image to someone. So that's either her estate or the film company that made the film and she signed over her rights for that. So you were kind of prepared for that Yeah, but no, but it's complete, completely recontextualising it. Mm. If she's like, I've signed up for a five-picture deal with Warner Brothers... She still signed and said they own this footage. So that's one mm. thing. And the other thing is, at least in the advert, it's almost a joke. Like, they're almost ironising, look what we can make Audrey Hepburn do. They're not pretending that Audrey Hepburn actually likes the product. Yeah, but they are. They sort of are, they but are. It's a, you're, you watch it and you think, wow, that looks just like Audrey Hepburn shot an advert for that company. It's different if they're actually in a film. I'm appalled. But that's probably because it's a new, a new thing. I think maybe in five or ten years' time, when that kind of digital manipulation has become... Um uh, commonplace. It won't be ironised. It will mm. just be like, oh look, here's Elvis and Audrey Hepburn selling Diet Coke. Mm. 
the king of crazy weight change in Hollywood is Christian Bale, of course, isn't it? He gains it, he loses it. He apparently ate a can of tuna and an apple per day when he was losing weight from The Machinist. That was his diet. What I read about The Machinist, for which he lost... I think he decided he was going to lose 40-odd pounds and he lost 20 more pounds than that, was that they didn't even ask him to do it. He decided Mm. that's what the character needed. That is pretty wacky, isn't it? To go down to, like, eight stone as an adult man. Well, you see, and I wonder whether, after his Oscar nomination, that was part of the reason why Matthew McConaughey did uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Because there you've got a script which calls for you to lose weight. Well, you know that you're going to get a nomination. Oscar nomination. Yeah, especially as it's a true story. You always get one if you change your body Mm. to play a real person. Like like, uh, Charlize Theron. Yeah, Will Smith in Ali. Jared Leto lost a lot of weight as well for Dallas Buyers Club. But he gained 70 pounds to play Mark Chapman, killer of uh, John Lennon in Chapter 27. And he got gout. Oh, really? I mean, that is an unusual disease for a young actor to I, suffer from. I sort of feel that all of these actors are a bit in hop to um, Robert De Niro and Raging Bull. Because mm. that was the first time I heard of uh, an actor putting on lots and lots of weight. And obviously, if you watch the film, throughout most of it, he's an athlete. And at the end of it, he's this big, fat guy. Yeah. And, it's, and it is an incredible transformation, mostly done, I think, without makeup. But then again, here we are, like, speculating about these actors as if they're another species of person. I've lost three stone in the last year for a job. Because I went to do a pilot for a quiz show. I, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, if they want me to look a bit thinner, I'll just lose some weight. And actually, yeah. in a way, sometimes you kind of think, well, this is a really good job and it's an opportunity for me to lose weight. Not to be skeletally thin, but actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, I imagine a lot of actors quite like the um, permission to, to go on a to diet. To have eating disorders and use drugs. Well, to say to their yeah. friends, the reason I'm losing weight is for this role. Well, Scorsese says, I have yeah, to have yeah, the yeah, salad. Yeah. And for an actor, though, those roles where you have to gain weight must be initially just great fun because you're like, wow, I'm going to eat 10,000 calories today having eaten less than that in the last week. Yeah, I heard <laughs> someone talking about that who said it really wasn't fun after about yeah, day two. Yeah, after, yeah, of course, after two days, you're going to feel sick as hell. Yeah, because like first day, you're like burger and you put macaroni cheese on top of the yeah, burger, double bacon. It's for work. Yeah, yeah. And then day two, you just feel physically sick. Well, here is another question about uh, physique in film from Simon from Lee. Uh, he would like to specify that he was formerly Simon from Kendall and Simon from York because he moves around a lot. Wow. Round, 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 round. Simon he gets, gets around. around. Simon says, <laughs> hands on your head, there is a cliche in action movies where the good guy will get shot and seem to be dead only for the viewer to find out later he's actually only shot in the shoulder. Mm. The implication mm. is that he will make a full and swift recovery and he's usually well enough to have an epilogue conversation with his partner while sat in the ambulance with a light bandage over his wound. <laughs> yes. Ollie answered me this. If someone did get shot in the shoulder, would they be well enough to have a heartwarming conversation just a few minutes later in a bumpy ambulance as well? Um, I, I actually reject the nature of this question because you're looking to see whether a certain element of action movie cliche is plausible when what you're not asking is... What about how, the preceding three exactly. hours of film? How mm. comes Bruce Willis is still alive at this point anyway? How come they can just shoot 300 people with no remorse or apparent problem? <laughs> Simon's qualms include the following. Would being shot in the shoulder not leave permanent nerve damage and potentially the loss of use of the hand or arm, as well as breaking the collar or shoulder blade? I think that depends on where the bullet goes in, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And actually, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like, you could have light-hearted banter upon realising that your um cop body has just saved the world despite the fact everything looked like it was stacked against you yeah uh, mm. and still be in a lot of pain yeah well, or you could possible, be isn't it? you could have a lot of adrenaline and painkillers yeah. coursing around your body exactly there's a heavy mix also sometimes they might have just been grazed on the, without it actually going through any 
vital blood vessels or bones. No, but he makes a good point, which is essentially, you know, it may seem like getting shot in the arm or the leg is better than getting shot in the chest because you, you would think if you're going to get shot in the heart, that's yeah. it, right? But if yeah. you get shot in the arm or the leg or the shoulder, something like that, actually, you know, yes, it might shatter the bone in your shoulder, but it's not going to sever anything crucial. But actually, uh, yes, there are some quite crucial parts of your body still located artery-wise around oh, your absolutely. arms and legs. Mm. Um, so, no, getting shot in the shoulder is not the panacea that it appears. Okay. Um, well, Simon says if you were to be shot, where yeah. on the human body is the best place to be yeah. shot that would leave the least amount of long-term damage? That's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm imagining quite a fleshy bit without too many major blood vessels. But, uh, the experts that I've read conclude hands. Um, oh. Now, this is lasting damage. You probably wouldn't be able to use your hand. But I couldn't but play the guitar again like an El Mariachi. What about my crafts? The reason, the reason it would be good uh, is because the bullet would exit. Because actually mm. the most painful and damaging thing a bullet can do is stay lodged in your body. Yeah, but you could get yeah. shot in the penis and the bullet would pass through. Yes, you could, Helen, but I think it's an obvious <laughs> pain contingent there. I reckon I could lose a ball. I'd be really sad to lose a hand. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got two. Yeah. Well, I've got two hands. But Use I your hands. You can't play guitar. Yeah, but you hand. can't really shoot someone in the ball. I mean, they have to be <laughs> standing in a particular way. Yeah, yeah they do it on purpose. But if you're about to, you were from behind, just... naked and bent over, they could aim at one of your testicles. <laughs> they might be but... aiming at your chest and just like swerve down at the last minute because the recoil. Possibly. I mean, again, it's hard to write that into a Stallone sort of action movie sequence. Stomach. I think I've lost my left ball. <laughs> Stomach's the one that's meant to be super painful, isn't it? Because it takes a long time to die, but it's very hard to patch up. I think you bleed out. I think anything where the bullet is still lodged, anything where there's a lot of bones to shatter that are then linked directly to a vital yeah. organ. Mm. Yeah, but I'm talking stomach where it's above your pelvis, but below your ribs. So you've not got the bones problem, but you're but going that, through a lot of intestine. I mean, the thing, brain doesn't hurt compared to the rest of you, but yeah. that's a really yeah. bad one because yeah. you, you could go you brain dead. Yeah, so. It's amazing, isn't it? When people like, I was shot in the head and it didn't do any damage. Like how, what miracle that happened there? Happen yeah, yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. This is why there's not agreement is actually... There are people who have been shot almost anywhere and survived. Yeah. And then there's people who have been shot in supposedly good places to be shot, like your hand, and they die Great instantly place. through loss of blood. Yeah, or, or like some a blood clot happening or a bit of bone going into your brain. Yeah, because also a lot of it is how you are trained to deal with that scenario. And actually, mm-hmm. in fairness to the buddy cop action movie genre, um, we assume that the Bruce Willis character, you know, to pick an example, a stereotype, mm-hmm. an archetype, if you will, we assume that, yeah, okay, they're a bit unconventional, they play by their own rules... But underneath that, there's a lot of institutionalized training going on. You know, he's, he's, he's held a gun many times, you know, and he's yeah. dealt with being shot before. And actually, when you shoot someone, part of what can accelerate the situation very quickly and lead to them dying is panic. Like, yeah. if you get shot and you're a professional and you're like, okay, I've been shot in the shoulder, I need to sit here, I need to wait for the yeah, paramedics. Yeah, I don't come. need to run around to get the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> I need to sit, strap this up, yeah. stem the blood flow. I'm in pain. I'm going to yeah. be aware of that pain. I'm yeah. going to tell the authorities when they come. And everything's going to be fine. But they never stand down in the films. They keep going. Well, uh, you know, they like don't I seem say... They affected until they've got the bad guy. Then they start limping and fainting. Like I say, be aware of the genre that we're in. No less convincing than any of the preceding 90 minutes. You know, this querying the ambulance conversation, that's like querying people who are lying. They're going, just, just listen to this thing. I'm <laughs> yeah. What? What? Uh, half a sentence. <sighs> yeah. Like that happens. Come on. And also, the in this scenario of the good guy... Uh, you think that he's going to die, but actually he's all right. Yeah. That often happens with the bad guy as oh, well, doesn't it? They, they are mm. very resilient. I mean, How many times has Michael extent? Myers died? <laughs> not, not the actor from Austin Powers, the uh, horror film character. And in reality, if you're the good guy and you've just killed the bad guy, 
you'd shoot him straight in the face, wouldn't you, to be sure? Yeah. The balls. You'd be yeah, really yeah. angry with him at that point. Shoot him in the left ball. You know, he's, he's held up a bridge in New York, you know, he's killed your wife and girlfriend or whatever it is. At that point, you've got him, you've shot him. You wouldn't take sympathy. I know you're a good guy, so you maybe, like, wouldn't be out... You maybe wouldn't set him on light with no, petrol, you'd, but you'd shoot him three times in the no. face, to be absolutely certain. Yeah. This is the thing, the good guys are incompetent at killing compared to the bad ones. Yeah, yeah. They don't think, well, I'm going to finish him off. They're like, oh my God, I shot a gun, which means he's probably dead. But, but if, sometimes the bad guy's incompetent as well because the bad guy has a moment of sentimentality where they think even though my henchman could have killed the good guy 10 minutes ago I personally am going to take responsibility yeah. for killing this one and then lets them out their that's, sight that's not a soft side that is arrogance yeah I suppose it's it like is, when yeah. they monologue yeah. and things happen during the monologue yeah. rather than just killing them <laughs> I think what we're finding out here is that films are fictional that's and gun violence is truly horrible yeah that's true and uh that is the thing. Yeah. It's almost as if the posters make gun violence look fun, but in reality, it just wouldn't be. Do you remember that period when they used to blur out um, guns from pop videos linked to action films? Like when there's that song from Bad Boys. I can't imagine that happening now. Now no. they just blur out people flipping the bird and brands, but guns are probably fine. Just the yeah. ubiquity of guns in action movies and like the ubiquity of like punching people in comedies of the 80s. It's just so weird. Has Miley Cyrus done a video yet where she puts a gun up her fanny? She's done it with hammers, so weapons yeah. are surely not a long like way a step away. down, if anything. Yeah. Obvious. Before you name your baby, have you bought their name.com? If you don't, their future digital brand will bomb. Or a spammy bastard will use their name to sell porn. Or some cheap off brand Viagra. Every Squarespace account comes with a free URL. So until your child is old enough to rebel, you can run a website for them that will become their personal hell. So it will be worth every penny. LOL. Thanks ever so much to Squarespace for funding this episode of Answer Me This. Indeed, thank you, Squarespace. And if you would like to be grateful to Squarespace in turn, uh, visit squarespace.com and set up a beautiful website using their drag-and-drop templates. And then if you want to keep that website, you can get 10% off Squarespace for a whole year by using the code ANSWER. So lots of things to be grateful for, really. That's right. You can impress your friends with your amazing new website. Guys, I know you're very impressed by my website, but really it was very easy. Mm. That's the kind of advert thing that would happen. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe you've made this cake. It was easy with Dodka Urka's <laughs> spray icing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're up to with Squarespace because adverts don't really reflect real conversations. That's right, you'd keep it to yourself. Yeah. You wouldn't say, oh, I don't have dandruff because I use Squarespace. If, if someone said, oh, your hair's looking nice, yeah. I wouldn't say that's because of the absence of dandruff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just say thank you. Have you, yeah. have you been using Squarespace on your hair? <laughs> <laughs> yes, bouncy. Here's a question from Kathy, who says, I'm 19 years old and a history student with virtually no direction in life a love of 18th century Europe, alcohol, and partying. Mm, if you combine all three of your interests, Cathy, you end up with the Frankist movement of 18th century Poland. Wow, now she's got direction in life. <laughs> Jacob Frank, have you heard of him? No, funnily enough, I haven't. Fascinating footnote from history. Uh, he was uh, FFH. Uh, <laughs> he was this guy who thought he might be the Messiah. Um, but he thought <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I'm still there, folks, only child. Uh, <laughs> but he thought the closest way to get to God was through ritualistic orgies. Now, I think I can see the appeal of that more than the closest way to get to God is by flagellating yourself and living in austere misery. Exactly. He's like every 20th century cult leader, basically, then, isn't he? Alcohol, partying, 18th century Europe. It's all there, Cathy. Cathy says, I'm absolutely loving life as a student, which is good. If you've got no direction in life, it, it staves that off for a few years. <laughs> That's right. You're just postponing the existential doubt that will follow after you graduate. Well, well done. I, well, at that point, she can do a master's about the Frankists. Yeah, <laughs> we've got it all planned out. Here we have. Cathy uh, <laughs> says, I've been getting well stuck into both the typical student lifestyle and into my studies. Good girl. Good. However, 
Recently, I have been asked to be a godmother to a friend's child. Now, why is that a however? Yeah. Surely that's more of a meanwhile in entirely unrelated news. Kathy has foreseen your query, Ollie, and she goes on to explain. I am incredibly honoured to be this boy's godmother. My own godparents have featured prominently in my life, more as family than my own real aunts and uncles. And yet you've gone so off the rails as a student. (laughs) Their spiritual guidance has failed you. So being asked to be this young man's godmother has filled me with incredible feelings of awe, delight and downright incredulity that his parents think that I might be responsible enough to be the moral guardian of their five-month-old son. I think oh, that's we fine. say condescendingly. I think, well, no, oh, I think that's Kathy. an appropriate reaction. Oh, such a 19-year-old Cathy. Um, think about <laughs> responsibility. His parents are respectively six and eight years older than me, but I feel that at 19, I might be a bit young to be a godmother. So well, th- hold on, but I guess they're putting a bet here on not dying anytime soon. Yeah. You know, actually, and you're going to be in your 20s by the time the child looks to you for any kind of guidance. Indeed. And then if they die, you're probably in your late 20s. It's fine. Cathy says, Ollie, answer me this. As a godmother, should I be toning down my party lifestyle in order to be a more responsible adult and someone that my godson and his older brother can look up to? When do I start really being a moral guardian for this little human? I don't think when they're five months old. I think the original sin is dormant at that point. Cathy, I think, I think you're over-hyping this in your own mind. You know, it's easy. Just just continue to be the loving, selfless, kind embodiment of Christ on earth that you are. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any problems at all. Uh, look, these friends have chosen you as you are now. They know how yes. you are. Um, either you are already, evidently, a special, trustworthy person who they want to entrust with their children. You're readier than you know. Uh, or you're just the best of a bad bunch and the rest <laughs> of their friends are uh, completely morally appalling. In which case the child's probably uh, screwed anyway. Uh, but in either case, they think you deserving of this honour. So you need to accept that humbly, albeit, you know, it's good that you've had this moment of epiphany, but accept mm. it humbly and move on. You don't need to change. You're already God-worthy. And the child's a baby. I don't think the responsibility beyond a birthday and Christmas present each year and cooing over the child really kicks in until until the child starts growing away from the parents a bit actually so for that's some right. that's like maybe seven or eight others it'll be a bit later certainly in in the boys teens then you can really be a refuge from the parents that he's trying to alienate exactly. I don't think you're going to get asked any difficult questions until you're mid 30s by which point you'd be pretty boring anyway Kathy has a second question I'm not a bloody priest Kathy this is a more pressing and less theological question uh, she says Ollie answer me this what is a traditional present that godmothers give to their godsons? Or what would you recommend as a good present? The christening is in just over a month, and I have no idea what to get him. A bit of money towards the child's trust funds never goes amiss, really, if you are spending a lot of money. Or something the child can grow into. So you gave it to him as his uh, godmothering present, but when he's 10 or 20, he can go, oh... That was from uh, Sparent Kathy. Yeah, but I don't think you actually want clothes you've grown out no, of. No, got no clothes, no. but say an important book. Yes, like well, your well, of favorite course, books. the most traditional of all presents as a godparent to give is, in fact, the Bible, uh, because your, your first role is to be spiritual guidance. So obviously within the framework of, of basically in Catholicism, it's always a Bible. But even there, there's some variation because you can give like a children's Bible uh, or mm. perhaps a book that's inspired by Noah's Ark or something if you don't want to be too didactic about it. Give them a toy Noah's Ark. That would be cool because those are good cool. toys and they yeah. look nice. And then we'll also look kind of cool and retro when it's on his shelf when he's grown out of it. A silver cup, I think, is quite a traditional christening present. But most people don't really like drinking out of silver things. So they taste a bit funny and you can't put them through the dishwasher. One of the popular ones to get for christenings uh, is a case of wine or port from the year they were 
were born. Now, obviously, oh. that's nice if they get it when they're 30 and then they've got some vintage port. Water, that's a water to wine thing then, isn't it? Yes, very nice, but also not so good if you're basically saying, oh, new baby, he'll, he'll want to start drinking soon then. Well, get, what about getting him tins of beans from when he was born... Plus, like bin bags, gaffer tape, batteries, etc. Like, um, uh, because it's everyone's like a survivalist, yeah, yeah. Because everyone's saying, well, the, the the world is all going to shit, and climate change is very pressing to to people of this boy's generation. They're probably going to be fucked. So you're preparing him, make him a coracle. <laughs> yeah. Well, listeners, I don't know if it's uh, being clear, but neither Ollie nor I are godparents or had godparents. We've got nothing to go on. Nor do we have children to whom we've allocated godparents. No. So we can't answer we what's a good present to have. I had godparents. Oh, oh yeah. What did they give you? I can't remember. I was very young. They see, didn't, they see didn't, the boy doesn't even they, care they what you get him, Kathy. The point is, listeners, you might have a better idea what would be a good gift for Kathy to bring along to the christening of her first ever godson. Yes, uh, and if you do, or if you have a question for us, please email, phone, or Skype, and our contact details are on our website, answermethispodcast.com, where you can also find links through to our Facebook page and our Twitter profile, and there are links to the Answer Me This store where you can buy our first 170 episodes. Remember to stack up if you've yet to go on holiday this year yeah, otherwise you're just gonna have to look out the window at shit no oh, one wants that otherwise you're gonna have to experience new things oh <laughs> god but one new thing you might actually want to experience is martin the Soundman's new album which has just come out yes yeah it's called uh, through intermittent rain uh, you can get it at martin or um and how yeah. much is it uh you can pay what you want that sounds like a bargain depending on how much you want to pay. If you want to pay 50 quid, then uh, it's pretty expensive. That's good for me. <laughs> also excellent value are our sponsors, squarespace.com, so remember to check them out. And of course, remember to return to us in two weeks' time for Answer Me This, episode 299. Bye! Helen and Ollie, answer me this.